All right, all right, let's jump right into our study tonight. Uh, I went over time last week. I heard just by a little bit. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go fast. Now look, I'm just going to tell you, it, it's not my fault, it's y'all's fault. Because see, if y'all would listen a little faster... I mean, you really got to listen faster because then, you know, it, 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 that's not cutting it, is it, Miss Diane, is it? That's not cutting. It. All right. Either way, we're going to have fun, right? We're going to enjoy ourselves. Okay. Now, here we go. Now, now, remember, if you're here for the first time on Wednesday night, uh, we've been studying the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, it is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege, his, his uh, disciple, uh, Timothy, who he has left at Ephesus. Uh, to fix some things that were wrong in the church in Ephesus. So we have a young pastor who is uh, uh, pastoring an established older church with older people, a lot of issues, a lot of problems, and he's having some, some issues and problems with the issues and the problems. Or if that makes sense, say amen. He's got stomach issues going on. That, that probably means he's got nerve problems and he's worried to death and he's issue, dealing with fear. If you look in the next book, the next letter, uh, you'll find out he, he tells him God does not give the spirit of fear. And if he tells him God does not give the spirit of fear, what's he dealing with? Dealing with fear. So he's just got a lot of things going on and Paul's trying to encourage him, give him some instruction on how to solve some of the problems going on here in this church. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. And so as we, as we wrap this up and draw this together, he's going to be talking about different groups of people again. You know, we talked about that last week, and now he's going to keep talking about that. So you might want to, if you just looking at your own personal studies and your own personal reading, put the, the last two chapters together. It's just a continuation of more different groups in the church. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. So let's jump right in here, okay? It says in, in verse number one, chapter six, it says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved. Partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort. Now, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud. He's proud. And most proud people are that way. Because if you know something, uh, you wouldn't be proud. Uh, Dr. E.V. Hill said his, his, his father told him, get enough education so nobody will look down on you. And then he said, go get a little more so you won't look down on nobody. I need a witness. These false teachers were arrogant. They were arrogant, not even realizing what they didn't know. Listen, it, they doted about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We all need to learn that, right? For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us there be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, make sure you read that right. Make sure you read. I have heard I have heard tons of people read that wrong and post it wrong. Oh yeah, the Bible says money is a root of all. No it ain't. Money is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. You can use it for good and you can use it for it's amoral. What he's saying is the love of money, greed. Okay, does everybody get that? So put that in your memory blanks next time, next time somebody misquotes that. You make sure and help them understand where they went wrong. <clears throat> it says, it says at what verse we in? Ten. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, under the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time he shall show, who is a blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who hath all, man, we were just shout right there, amen. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power and everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do no, excuse me, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. And all God's people say it. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, thank you for an opportunity and a time to be able to study it and look at it. I pray that you'll help us to see it, help us to read it, help us to understand it, uh, help us to apply it. It doesn't do us much good if we're not going to obey what we learn. And I pray, Lord, that we can be doers of the word and not hearers only. Bless everybody that's here. Lord, bless all those that are sick. Uh, Lord, those with the, the virus and the other things going on, whatever, uh, whatever issue is there, I pray that you'll meet the needs. And God will thank you for it and give you glory and praise and honor. In Jesus' name we all pray and all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. In the very first two verses, we're going to start with the first group. I want you to write this down. Uh, and, and then we'll, we'll begin. So write this word down. The first group we see in this chapter is the employees. The employees. Now that's how we're going to apply it, all right? Now the context of the verses is talking about slaves, okay? It's the word used, slaves. It says, ye servants, but the word, the word is slave. In other words, slave like men, you know what a slave was, okay? It's a, it's a little different in the culture there. Uh, than what we known here in our, our United States. But still, the point is, they were slaves, okay? Uh, but in order to apply the truth of what we're reading, we're going to use the word employee. If that makes sense, say amen. All right, the first group, the first group that he is looking at is, is slaves that had unbelieving masters. Slaves that had unbelieving masters. Now, I want to read just a little bit of background information to help you understand, uh, and keep this in mind, keep this in mind. You will better understand the Bible you read if you will sometimes put yourself in that time period. If that makes sense, say amen. In the culture that they had, in the time that they had it, in other words, what they were dealing with at the time Paul is writing this to the New Testament church and Christians in that culture in that day in the Roman Empire, all right? If that makes sense, say amen. All right, here's a little background information. Some historians have estimated that half of the population of the Roman Empire was composed of slaves. Many of these people were educated and cultured, but legally they were not considered persons at all. The gospel message of salvation and freedom in Christ appealed to the slaves, and many of them became believers. When slaves were able to get away from their household duties, they would fellowship in local assemblies where being a slave was not a handicap. Uh, in Galatians 3.28, it says they're neither bond nor free. Now, you may be a slave outside these walls, but when you came in here and fellowship with the brethren, you're just like everybody else. Does that make sense? And so that's what they were doing. That's what happened. But there was a problem. There was a problem. Some slaves used their newfound freedom in Christ as an excuse to disobey, if not defy their masters. They needed to learn that the spiritual freedom in Christ did not alter their social position. 
even though they were accepted graciously into the fellowship of the church. So he, he addresses first, he addresses first uh, new born again slaves. Are, are we with there, right? This is who he's talking to. Now the first group, he's talking about those who had unbelieving masters that didn't believe in Christ. They were pagan possibly. He said, this is how I want you to act. I know you, you're saved now. You are redeemed in Christ. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. But this is how I want you to treat your master. Watch what he says. Verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Wow. Why? Why? That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Okay. Now, I want you to write this down. Or, or I guess I didn't give it to you, didn't I? With unbelieving A, did I give you A yet? Unbelieving employers, okay? For a slave, now watch this. Remember, we're in that culture. Remember, in that culture. Don't put yourself in today. In that culture, watch this. For a slave to rebel against an unsaved master would bring disgrace on the gospel. The name of God and his doctrine would be blasphemed. And this is one reason Paul and the early missionaries did not go around preaching against the sinful institution of slavery. Such a practice would have been branded the church as a militant group trying to undermine the social order and the progress of the gospel would have been greatly hindered. Now, let's explain that. All right. You have a culture that everything in the norm, slavery was a norm. All right. When the gospel begins, the gospel started with a very small group. Would y'all say amen right there? And so they're going into a hostile culture. They're going into a foreign culture to bring the truth and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now imagine this. Imagine if, if, if a group of slaves over here and a group of slaves over here, they're redeemed and they're saved and they believe in the gospel and they rebel against their masters and they cause a big riot and a big ruckus and a big problem. Then all of the unbelievers and all of the culture would say that Christianity is a major problem. We got to stop it. In other words, what was more important? It wasn't the culture. It was the truth of the gospel. Why? Why? Because even though you might have been a slave down here, if you get saved, you will have a mansion in glory. But if you don't get a chance to get saved, it don't matter what you have here. You could be delivered here and not be saved and end up going to hell. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what you attain on this earth. If you don't have glory, say amen. amen. So the gospel is most important. Now, how do we apply that? How do we apply that? Obviously, we're going to look at some of you who work for unbelieving bosses. Okay. But I want to do this too. I, I want there. There's such a movement today about uh, social justice and social uh, uh, a culture where uh, people are trying I mean, I don't want to get political, but I want you to understand that the main purpose we have as the church and the body of Christ and individual Christians is to share the gospel. As missionaries, it's not to dig wells, although that's a good thing to do. It's not to, it's not to make sure somebody has bread, although that's a good thing to do. It's not to build houses and huts, although that's a good thing to do. It's okay. But if we do all of those things and we feed people and clothe people and give people water, but don't give them the gospel, we've just made them more comfortable to go to hell with. Does everybody understand that? So what Paul is saying here is if you cause a problem for your master, then you're not a testimony and they're going to hate God because they're going to blame God for your rebellion and disobedience. Does that make sense? That's how God can be blasphemed. Now, now, let's just bring it to 2020. How many of us cause our employers to think God ain't all that because of the way we behave at work? And they know we claim to be Christians. Amen. I wonder if we're bringing glory to God by the way we treat people. Well, I tell you what, you don't know my boss. He's not a Christian and he's that. Okay, okay. We'll get to you in just a minute. <clears throat> Let's look at the believing employers. The believing employers. Now, the danger with this would be the slave to go back to his master and think because he's a Christian too, 
I don't have to do nothing. We're equal, so I don't have to, I don't have to perform my responsibilities. And, and he said, no, that's not good either. Verse 2, he said, and they that have believing masters, let them not, what? Despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Now, the danger here is that a Christian slave might take advantage of his master because both are saved. My master is my brother, a slave might argue. Since we're equal, he has no right to tell me what to do. Now, this attitude would create serious problems both in the homes and in the churches. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, uh, this is the same mentality and approach that I have seen people who want to work at the church or work for another Christian brother who owns a business. And they think because they go to church together, they don't have to work. I don't care if you're working for the Antichrist or Billy Graham. You should put the same effort in both of them. Now, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. It doesn't matter if you work for a lost boss or a saved boss. Just because he's lost don't mean you can shuck your responsibilities. Just because he's saved doesn't mean that you should get any preferential treatment. If you're getting the same, paid for a good, honest day's work, guess what you need to do? Are y'all with me? But that don't always happen. I've seen it with my own eyes. Well, 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 well we're members. Well, you're getting paid. You got a job. I don't, I don't care if you're on staff or not. If you got a job, you got a job. Are y'all with me? Now, let's look at some, let's look at some verses. Ephesians 6, 5, and 8. It's right on the bottom of your page. Now, you're not a slave, but you have to, you have to work, right? You have a responsibility. You, you serve a boss. You serve someone uh, who employ you, employs you. And so that's how we're going to apply this because the same principle works. In Ephesians 6, he says, servants, be obedient. Say that with me. Be to them that are your all right, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto God. Now, what is that saying? What is that saying? You should obey your boss on the same wavelength as you're obeying Christ. Right? right. I just read what it said. Oh, preacher. Not with eye service. As men pleasers, that means you serve when his eye is upon you. All right. When he's gone, you goof off. When he's there, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As men pleasers, but as the servants of doing the from the. All right. Now, what's the will of God for you to obey your boss like he is Jesus? All right. Yeah, this is popular, isn't it? With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So that means when you work your job, you're, you're working as if you're working for the Lord and not men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the... Now that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Whether... Now watch this. Whether he be... Bond or free. In other words, that means whether he's a slave or a free man. Does that make sense? All right, now let's read another and we'll put it together. Now keep in mind the word servants here is slave, okay? Obey in how many things? All things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye services, men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it. Heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Now, let's look at our list. Let's look at our list. All right. Whether I have a saved boss or a lost boss, they both get the same energy. 
They both get the same effort. One, one, now, now let me, let, everybody look at me for a minute. Let me, let me just ramble just a minute. <clears throat> why, why, why is that so important? Say, so, well, preacher, you, you don't know, I work for the Antichrist. <laughs> that might be so. But have you ever thought about it this way, that that might be your mission field? And that by the effort that you put in and by the testimony you have and by the cheerfulness in your walk and and by the encouragement that you offer and by the sweet face that you have and the smile that you show that we're going to win them by your conversation. Now, the word conversation means behavior. Okay, King James, it means behavior, the way you act. Ladies, it says, I think in, in the book of 1 Peter, it's in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, but I think it's 1 Peter, it says you can win an unbelieving spouse by not dragging him to church. It says without the word. That means without preaching, without teaching, without nagging. By your chaste conversation. In other words, by your good behavior, by your godly behavior, by your Christ-like behavior, by the smile on your face and the spring in your step, no matter how bad your employee treats you, if you respond like Jesus responds, that might be what it takes to bring them to Jesus. You've got to quit looking at it. And I'll tell you what, if you learn to do this, if you learn to do this, if you learn to do it as if it's the will of God, I'm going to ask you a question. Do y'all, do y'all think I look like I dig what I do? I mean, seriously, do I look like I dig what I do? Because I'm doing the will of God. And I know I'm doing the will of God. And I know that God's going to reward me for that. So if you're in there and you're serving, you say, well, I don't know if the job I have is the will of God. If that's where you are, it is. And whoever that is around you, it's God's will for you to influence them. Are y'all with me? And be a witness. So don't look at it as I'm, I'm a widget maker. Look at it as I'm a missionary to this heathen boss what I'm making widgets for. And you know what will happen? All of a sudden, you're going to be excited about going to work. And it won't have nothing to do with making widgets. It's going to have to do with, man, I'm going to get to show the boss Jesus today. He's going to be mean to me, and I'm just going to smile. All right, some of y'all think, well, I'll tell you what, I don't believe all that. Well, just go ahead and be miserable all your life. I didn't read nothing but the Bible. You know why you're so miserable? Because you're going to be a a hearer and not a doer. Start serving your boss like he's Jesus. Now, I mean, if the how many of y'all believe the Bible when it says you can be saved? How many of y'all believe the Bible says if you're saved, you're going to heaven? Okay, how many of y'all believe the Bible it says if you're saved and you're forgiven, you're going to escape hell? So you're going to put your eternal destiny in that, but you're not going to believe about serving your antichrist boss like he said to do. Y'all with me? What am I going to get out of it? Well, you're, it's not your boss. The Bible says you're going to be rewarded by Christ. That's what the verse said. Right? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll act better when he pays better. See, you, you, you missed it. You totally missed it. We have generations today who say, well, I tell you what, when they pay me better, I'm going to work harder. That's backwards. The way this works is you work harder to earn that better pay. All right. Number one. Number one, according to Scripture. Look under B. Look under B. Let's, let's go down this. Number one, according to Scripture. Say it with me. According to Employees are to serve their employers how? Obediently. That means when he tells you to do something, do it. What do I got to do this? I, I, I don't pay you to ask questions. I pay you to fix the widget. Well, this generation, they need to know, know why they're doing it. And they need to know. I'm about sick of hearing all that. 
According to scripture, the Bible says, if your employer says, mow the grass, mow the grass. Mow the grass. All you got to ask is, where's the lawnmower? Right? Okay. Number two, employees are to serve their employers. How? Completely. Employees, number three, are to serve their employers. How? It's all there in them verses. Number four, employees are to serve their employers. How? Eagerly. Employees are to serve their employers how? Diligently. I mean, I mean, where has our pride gone, people? I remember working at the golf course. When I was in Bible college, I worked at Millen Valley Country Club. And they they give us a project. And I wasn't even I wasn't even the assistant groundskeeper or nothing. I was just a grunt. And but when I did a project, I want it to look right. Because they're going to say, who did that? And my name's going to be on it. So I want it to look right. So I'd put in extra effort and extra time. And I'd do it till it was done. So I know when he come out there and seen it, he's like, good job. And some of them guys, they just couldn't get that. Their theme, their theme was they can't give it eight. And it didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter they were just going to put in whatever they had to get in, the minimal amount of whatever they had to do, and they were just going to get out of there. That's not Christian. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid, just from what I've seen in the ministry, in the church world, I, I would tell you, would you treat Jesus like that? But, but you would. Because I'm seeing it a lot. We don't give Jesus our best. We don't follow through. We're not faithful. So really, we're not treating Jesus any different than what people are treating their modern day bosses today. But we got to fix that. Because I promise you, this is hurting the testimony of the church. Lost people see that. Lost people see how Christians respond and how Christians react. And we wonder why nobody wants to go to church. Let me say, let me say, y'all, I'm going to see if y'all can finish this sentence. Church is full of, uh-oh. Why do you reckon they all say that? Maybe it's what they're seeing. Now, which boss are we supposed to treat like Christ, like we're working for Christ? The unsaved boss or the saved boss? Oh, yeah, I thought I was going to get you, but you got it. So no matter if your boss goes to church or not, we're supposed to work hard. What if they don't treat me right? Leave them up to God. I cannot tell you how many times I've, I've talked with a wife or I've talked with an a, a individual who's being treated wrong. And, and I said, look, just do the best you can. Serve God the best you can because God can slap them harder than you can. Vengeance is mine. Let God handle that. No matter what they do, you do right. No matter how they do it, you do right. You do right. Serve and work diligently. Do the best you can, as good as you can, as much as you can, and leave the reward to Christ. And I guarantee you, well, my boss never sees anything. Well, you got somebody higher on the totem pole that sees everything. Are y'all with me? Amen. And he, let me me read this verse. Read this verse. Verse 8, verse 8, Ephesians 6, verse 8. Look in your notes. Are you there? All right, I can't hear you. All right, let's read together. Read together. Knowing, now, ho, 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 ho. Knowing. Now, why is the word knowing there? Because of what he just told you. He just told you to work hard, work diligently, work for your boss as if your boss was Christ. That's what he just said. And so what's going to motivate us to do that? What's going to help us encourage to do that? Because we will know that whatsoever any. Now, what do you think that good thing is? Working hard. Serving him like you're serving Jesus. 
In other words, you're employed for Jesus Incorporated. Y'all with me? And, and why are we going to work hard? Why are we going to be diligent? Why are we going to serve with all of our heart and give it everything? Because we know no matter what we do, as long as we do what Jesus says, watch this, the same, read with me, the same shall he receive of the, whether he be You're going to get yours. Don't worry. I'll tell you what, I haven't got it yet. Maybe it's because of your attitude. Doesn't the Bible say, doesn't the Bible say, serve the Lord with? Have you done that lately? Have you done that lately? And if your boss is in the Lord's stead and you're serving him like the Lord, are you serving him with gladness? Are y'all with me? Man, y'all are quiet tonight. I sense there's been some hostility in the employment world this week. All right. And for all you employers in here, be careful how you treat God's people. Because he don't take it too lightly. They belong to him. Okay. Y'all ready to move on? All right. The employer said, no, stick right there. Stick right there. No. <laughs> Verse three. Now he's going to deal with the false teachers. Man, he's been dealing with them all through the letter, hasn't he? Now watch what he says. He says, if any man teach otherwise. In other words, in other, in other words anything else than what I just told you. Everything that I've given you from chapter one up until this point, if, if anybody teaches anything different and they consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing... That gain is godliness, he says, from such withdraw thyself. So there's a group of people here. And the first thing he addresses is their behavior. Verse 3. Their behavior. Write that word down. What is their behavior? They refuse sound teaching. They refuse sound doctrine. Doctrine, when you see the word doctrine in the Bible, it's always talking about teaching. So if you had like the doctrine of Christ, it's to teach what the Bible says about Christ. The doctrine of God the Father, what the, doc, what the Bible says about that. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit, what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So he's saying they won't, they won't listen. They're unteachable. They won't follow the word. They won't follow scriptures. They want to do their own thing. Their behavior. Then number, verse 4, we see their attitude. Their attitude. They're arrogant. They're arrogant. He said, instead of being humble, a false teacher is proud. And let me say that again. Instead of being humble, a false teacher is proud. And by the way, they're not only not humble, they're arrogant, but they love an audience. They love an audience. Listen, they're proud, but they have nothing to be proud of because they don't know anything. He said, he said, they know nothing. A believer who understands the word will have a burning heart, not a, I need a witness. Do you know the more I learn about my Bible, the, the lower I see myself? When Isaiah had a true experience with God and saw God like he truly is in all his glory, Listen, from chapter 1 all the way up to that point, he's woeing everybody. Woe unto thee, woe unto the Pharisee, woe unto the hypocrite, woe unto y'all, woe unto everybody. When he saw God in his glory, he said, woe is, woe is me. When you truly, the closer you get to God, the less you see of yourself. Listen, John Baptist said, he must increase, but I must, I must decrease. Man, the more of the Bible you learn, the more humble you will get. This conceited attitude causes a teacher to argue about minor matters concerning words. The word doting there means sickly, by the way. 
Just get sick over these things. Arguing over and fussing over stuff that don't even matter. We see their behavior, verse 3, their attitude in verse 4. The results of their activity in verse 4 and 5. He's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words. Whereof come envy. When you're proud, you get envious of others who you think is stealing your glory. And by the way, God doesn't like people stealing his glory. So if we have any, it's, it's not ours to have. Strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, arguments. Men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. Listen, they were filled with a morbid desire. The result of such unspiritual teaching is envy, quarreling, arguing, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction. Man, there's, there's churches all over America that's just always got something going on. Constant turmoil, constant friction. Listen, full of false teachers. Their behavior, their attitude, their results, and then D, their pursuit. Their pursuit. Where do we find that? Look in verse 5. Perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that what? Gain, supposing that gain is godliness. He said, from such withdraw thyself. You see, these false teachers suppose that godliness is a way of financial gain. Godliness here means the profession of a Christian faith and not true holy living in the power of the spirit. They use their religious profession as a means to make money. What they did was not a true ministry. It was just a religious business. They figured out a way to use religion to pack their pockets. Are y'all with me? And they will, they will produce this. I mean, this, this reminds me so much of the, uh, the prosperity gospel preaching you see on TV. These lying, thieving scoundrels that's going to be in the hottest hell you can ever imagine. Lying to people saying, send me your money so I can fly around in a jet. And, and Please don't send them nothing. One of them claimed, if I don't raise such and such amount of millions of dollars, God's going to take me home and I will die. I, I, man, I, I want to tell everybody, don't send him nothing. Let God go ahead and take him home. That's, that's what he's dealing with here. Now do you understand why Timothy's having such a hard time? And, and what did Paul say? How serious was Paul about this deal? He said, you flee from them birds. Don't even get around them. You know, there's, there's times to stand and fight and there's times to run, right? He said, flee from them. Get away from them. Don't even, be, don't even be around them. Don't spend no time with them at all. Don't even entertain the thought of any. Are y'all with me? Now watch. Now watch. The next group he's dealing with is really not the group. He's dealing specifically with Timothy, the pastor. All right? Now after dealing with the false teachers, after dealing with those who were, were struggling with their behavior to the people that they had responsibility to in the first two verses. Then we see the pastor. Look in verse number six. <clears throat> Piggybacking off of what he said in verse five, he said these false teachers, these false teachers imply that, that if you're godly, you will get gain. All right, is that not the same thing they preach on TV today? If you're right with God, you're going to have God's favor and God's blessing and you're going to have an overabundant double 99% portion. You know, are y'all with me? Now, this is what he says. Now, Timothy, first he says, flee from that kind of garbage. He said, run from it. But then he wants to talk to Timothy about uh, what will keep him from falling into that trap. Watch what he says. Watch what he says. This is so good, guys. Man, we need to get this. But godliness... With contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So the first thing he instructs Timothy with here in, in the last part of this letter, he wants to teach him the power of contentment. The power of contentment. People are trying to tell you how to get rich quick. And Paul's telling them how to be content. And you can get rich quick if you learn to be content. Now watch. Watch what, watch what 
Watch what I'm going to read to you. The word contentment, read this with me, read this with me, means an... Okay, okay, okay. Let's go together the whole sentence. Here we go. The word contentment means an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. In other words, no matter what's happening out here, you're good. You're calm. You're okay. Does that make sense? Now watch. Now watch. Paul used this same word later when he said, for I have... Learn. You see, there's the key. Contentment is not natural. Contentment is not natural. When we are born into this world, we are born discontented. Every few hours, we cry and whine. Y'all with me? And, and the only difference between the baby and the adult is the space of the whining is extended a little bit. When we don't get what we, I need a witness. Paul says, you don't come into this world content. You come into this world discontent. You come into this world wanting, 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 mine, 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 mine. You know, he said, this is something I had to learn. So watch this. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am. That doesn't mean if I'm in Tennessee or Georgia, I'm happy. That means if I'm eating steak or bologna. That means if I'm driving a Mercedes or a Yugo. If some of you kids ain't old enough to know what a Yugo is, Google it. <clears throat> right? Whether I've got an Armani suit on or some overalls. And if I had a pair of overalls, why would you want an Armani suit? Say amen. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter what condition Paul says, and, and, and I didn't put the whole thing there, but if you read the whole verse, he says, man, I've been hungry and I've been full. I've had it all and I've had nothing. And I've learned to be okay with whatever. Man, we need to get that. Consumer and materialism is killing us. It's killing us. True contentment, true contentment comes from godliness in the heart, not what? Not wealth in the hand. A person who depends on material things for peace and assurance will never be for material things have a way of losing their appeal. Let me me, me lay it out this way. Let me lay it out this way. If you're not content with $50. You're not going to be content with 500. If you're not content with 500, you're not going to be content with 5,000. If you're not content with 50,000, you're not going to be content with 50 million. Oh, come on preacher. I'd sure like to try. Ted Turner, I believe it was Ted Turner. They asked him, uh, when will you have enough? What is enough money? What is enough money? Now, you got to understand, this is billions. We're not talking millions, we're talking billions. What's enough money? This was his response. Just a little more. Just a little more. And before you go to Christ, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. No, no, no. I'm a, listen, if you're not content with where you're at right now, you would say the same thing that Ted Turner said. Because contentment is not in what you got in your pocket. Contentment is not in the house you live in. It's not in the car you drive. Do y'all know Solomon? He was the richest man there ever was, the most powerful man there ever was. There was nothing that this world was held back from him. Wine, women, and song. Wine, women, and song, everything. And you know what he said about it all? Vanity. And you know what the word vanity means? I've said it a hundred times. Y'all know what it says. What did he say? Empty. 
It left me feeling empty. It did not satisfy me. Amen? But if we could learn to be right with God and okay with wherever God has us, we would become wealthy overnight. Overnight. Just like that. Amen? So how do you know all that? Because you know the Bible says that God gives the power to get wealth. Have you ever noticed there are just certain people that just have some kind of crazy ability? The deals always happen to them. I mean, just, just, just out of the blue, it just seems like they can just, they touch it, turns gold. Just immediately. It's just crazy how that works. That's not an accident. And then you have people that gets the gold and it turns to coal right away. And that's not an accident either. One day I was sitting and I seen a commercial. <clears throat> Y'all ever see those, those clearinghouse sweepstakes commercials? Tell me, tell me I'm not the only one that thinks this way. What if? It was that one about the, it's like $1,000 every week or 2000 5000 whatever it was, 5000 every week. I just went into a zone. Man, I'd have a coon dog like you ain't ever seen. Riding a brand new Polaris and, 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 and fishing. And y'all probably would never see me. And I would think where I'd be in the Keys fishing for, for uh, dolphin and wahoo and, and, and having me a house in the Keys. And then all of a sudden, my dream got interrupted by the Holy Spirit. And he said, and that's why you ain't getting it. True story. I'm not making that up. I'm thinking, you know what? If I had that, I'd be a heathen. Now, y'all ain't going to admit that, but I'm just telling you right now. That's why God won't let me have it. And we whine and we complain and we... Listen, be content. Let's just be content. Watch this. This is the coolest thing. This is the greatest thing I've ever read right here. The Simple Living Quaker... This is great. He was watching his new neighbor move in, and with all the furnishings and expensive toys that successful people collect, the Quaker finally went over to his new neighbor and said, Neighbor, if ever thou dost need anything, come to see me, and I will tell thee how to get along without it. Is that not awesome? Watch this. Watch this. Henry David Thoreau, the naturalist of the 1800s. Now, this is, this, is, this is no laughing. This is no joke. This is a real serious, if we could get this. He reminded us that a man is wealthy in proportion to the number of things he can afford to. In other words, when you learn contentment, here's the thing. If I'm content with this $3 cheeseburger, but you're not content with this $150 filet mignon from a New York steakhouse, I'm wealthier than you. Because I'm satisfied and you're in turmoil. Do you remember what I told you when I said you can become wealthy overnight? Simply by trusting God and being content. And I will say this. I will say this. If you'll learn to be content with what you have, maybe he'll trust you with a little more. Amen. Amen. Do you know, do you know how many, do you know how many 
pastors right now in America from 20 years old to 80 years old would love to be in my shoes right now. Love to be in my shoes right now. But I'm going to tell you a little story. I'm going to tell you a little story and I'm going to prove it. And I'm going to tell you, hand on the Bible. When I was between Long Branch and here, I was so frustrated. And I was at the point of tears. I just wanted to be somewhere doing something so bad to the point I, I just made up God's will for my life. He must want me to go to Costa Rica language school and become, you know, and I was so miserable, especially on Sundays, especially at the last song right before the preaching. Man, my toes would be go tapping because I knew that that's preaching time. And I was just, and Preacher Brown said, said, learn to be happy where you are. So one day I made up my mind. I, I, just, I was just going to take advantage of whatever opportunity came up. I wasn't going to force anything or try to make anything. Somebody called and said, hey, will you teach your Sunday school class? Absolutely, I will. That Sunday, I taught. Next week, I'm going to be gone again. Can't do it again. Yes, sir, I will. Right again. Two or three weeks taught in a row. Finally, finally, the guy said, look, man, I just need you to take over this class. Will you, will you do that? Honest to God's truth. Dole and Barry was, uh, Dole and Barry, Dole and Belisa was in the class, ask them. I said, Lord, if you want me to be a Sunday school teacher the rest of my life right here at Victor Baptist Church on, in North Augusta on, on Martintown Road, that's what I'll be the rest of my life. As long as you will bless me, I'll, I'll be a Sunday school teacher the rest of my life. I took the class the following week. The first week, the first week, I took the class. The next week, we had a cookout as a welcome, get to know everybody. I got the call from Temple. They said, will you come preach? I said, I'm not looking for a church. I said, well, just come fill in. I came and preached. No, 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 I got it out of order. I got it out of order. I took the Sunday school class. I came and preached. The following week, we had the barbecue to welcome everybody. And they called me and said, will you please come back one more time and bring Tammy and the girls? Tammy said, oh no. <laughs> and then the following week, I've been here ever since. But you know when I got confirmation and when God said, okay, when I said, whatever you want me to do. If it's, I'll be content to be a son. He said, learn to be happy right where you are. Because if you can't be happy teaching Sunday school, you won't be happy teaching this big old auditorium. And you know what? You know what? This is going to blow your mind. I get just as excited, maybe a little more, don't get jealous, when I go to a body shop with a handful of guys in there and spend time with them as I do with you. Nothing glamorous about it. Don't get no paycheck from it. But it thrills my heart. Same thing on Sunday. Y'all taking a nap. I am jealous of that part. <laughs> but at 3 o'clock, I'm meeting with a handful of Hispanic dear, dear friends of mine now. Eric, you're in there. He's right there. He'll testify. And I get just as excited and just as fulfilled as if I was in here with a jam-packed building. You know when I learned that? Somebody asked me the question, and, I, and it didn't dawn on me till they asked me the question. What's it like? It's a young pastor. What's it like preaching to all them people? I thought, I don't know, I never thought of it. And so I thought of it. And you know what? I don't get no more excited or no more of a thrill or no more fulfillment 
out of, and I preached in this with multiple serves with it packed out than I did when we started with 30 down there. You know why? Because it was the same God was with us in the 30 as it is with the almost 3,000. You see, it's not the building and it's not the people. It's not the size. It's not what everybody thinks it is. It's the God that's walking with you. I don't care what you got in your pocket. Learn to be content. I don't care where you are in the state of life and the stage of life you are. Learn to be content and God can trust you with more. You know why God's allowed me to have this blessing? Because he knows if, if he tells me to go preach in a body shop with seven or eight redneck guys, I'm going to do it and enjoy it. Are y'all with me? Become wealthy overnight. Say, God, teach me to be content. Now, let me help you. Paul had to get to the point he had nothing. But once he got it, he became wealthy. He taught him the power of contentment. B, the danger of greed. The danger of greed. Verses 9. <clears throat> but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money. Man, when you're greedy and you just got to have it, you want more and you want more and you want more. It's an ever-consuming fire. They've coveted after this money. They've coveted after wealth. And, man, they've pierced themselves with so many what? Sorrows. Imagine that. They that will be rich... They that will be rich, in other words, they got to be rich. They're wanting to be rich. They're wanting to have and have and have and have. It describes a person who has to have more and more and more material things in order to be happy and feel successful. But man, riches are a trap. They lead to bondage, not freedom. Instead of giving satisfaction, riches create additional lusts or desires to want more and these must be satisfied. Listen, what did Ted Turner say? When's enough? Just a, just a little more. If I can just get a little more, if I can just have a little more, if I can just earn a little more. And they trap themselves in a point of unsatisfaction, unfulfilled life. Hey, do the statistics. It ain't the poor people that's committing suicide all the time. It's the wealthy people. Look at, look, at the, look at the celebrities. Look at the wealthy people. I mean, you see it on TV over and over and over and over again. You know why? Because they, they finally get to the top of the ladder and found out it was leaning against the wrong building. Finally got everything I was looking for and wanting and this is where I'm going to be fulfilled. And they found out it was a mirage. Amen? Amen? He warned him about the danger of greed, then the importance of faithfulness. Uh-oh. Faithfulness. Let me just tell you the rest of them. I did it again. See, man, y'all are really going to have to tighten up. Your, your listening speed is going to have to increase. Right? Come on, disagree with me just a little bit. All right, all right, watch this. Importance of faithfulness. He said, fight the good fight, right? That word fight means keep on fighting. Don't quit, Timothy. Stay with it. But then he addresses the rich. Verse 17, real quickly, real quickly. He says, charge them. This is a military term. This is like a, a general commanding his, those under him. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not... All right, put humility there. A, he says, talk to the rich people about their humility. What that means is just because they got more money than somebody else don't mean they're better than anybody. Make sure they stay humble. Because, listen, it's like beauty. Don't get arrogant about your beauty. God gave it to you. You didn't earn it. God did it. We don't have nothing to brag about. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's all. 
Amen? So he said, I want you to understand the importance of humility. Then he says, nor trust in uncertain riches. He told him about a false assurance. A false assurance. What was their assurance in? Their wealth. Their wealth. People found out during the Great Depression that your wealth can go. We found out just here several, several years ago that a lot of our retirement programs and all that stuff, listen, it can go in a heartbeat, right? It's a false assurance. If your reliance is on what you got in the bank, one day that could be gone. Period. Our reliance has to be on the Lord. Say amen. Amen. A false assurance. Then he talks about generosity. He said, don't trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, let me say something about that. I know we're over time, but I got to say this. No matter where you're at, learn to enjoy what you got. If you can afford a brand spanking new, I'm talking about, I mean, got the new smell and everything. You can do that and you're faithful with your tithes and your offerings and you're faithful in helping people that are less fortunate than you and you can afford that, put your behind in that thing and drive it everywhere. I learned, I learned from a missionary this. All my life, all my life, missionaries would come to church and put you on a guilt trip. Put you on a guilt trip. They'd show you the, the, the pitifulest looking people you've ever seen, the, the hungriest looking children you've ever seen, and they tell everybody you had to eat crickets and cockroaches, and then said, for the price of your Dr. Pepper and king size Snickers. And man, you get to feeling guilty. And now every time I buy my Snickers, I'm thinking about that cricket. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I can't enjoy my Snickers because this missionary is eating crickets. (laughs) And then one godly man of God missionary who delivered me from that foolishness. He came. And this is what he said. He said, God has blessed America. And he said, God doesn't bless you without the intention of you enjoying your blessing. He said, I'm not expecting you to do without your king size snicker. I'm just asking you to take a moment and ask what God wants you to do in the matter of missions. And that completely, that completely changed my whole mentality. If God's blessed you with something, enjoy it. What about people going to start talking? They were talking before. That's not going to make them talk. If they're going to talk, they're going to talk about you if you drive a used one. Enjoy what God's given you. Enjoy God's blessings in your life. Are you all with me? Now, I'm, 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 they, they told Dr. Vance Habner. They told Dr. Vance Habner. He was an older Southern Baptist pastor, one of the greatest men of God there ever was. He got a Cadillac, bought a Cadillac. And they said, I'll tell you what, that's going, that's got, that Cadillac will ruin a minister. He said, didn't ruin my doctor. <laughs> he said, it didn't, are y'all with me? He said, let me, let me read it again. Let me read it again. Some of y'all don't, y'all, y'all tore up about this. He said, trust, don't trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us what? Richly what? All things to enjoy. Okay. We're done right here. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now what that means is generosity. That's C. That's generosity. Now always remember this, you rich folk in here, All two of you, amen? I don't know. I don't know who's rich in here. I ain't got a clue. I don't know what anybody, I don't want to know what anybody has. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm content with my cheeseburgers. Amen. But God will give more through you than he'll ever give to you. 
And God didn't give everything he gave to you to hoard it up. He never expected you to be a reservoir. He expected you to be a conduit. And if you will learn that the blessings he puts upon you is so you can be blessing someone else, he will keep blessing you. Well, how, how are these people being rich? if they? Because we give with our hands and he gives with his hands. His hands are bigger than ours. So don't miss. Be generous. Learn to share. Learn to give. Learn to be a blessing to others. And the more you're a blessing to others, the more God will be a blessing to you. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And then lastly, to the rich, he says, learn humility. To the rich, he says, don't have a false assurance in your uncertain riches. They could be gone in a flash. He said, learn to give, learn to share, learn to be generous. Then he said, invest in eternity. Learn to invest in eternity. Now, most wealthy people know about investing. They just do. Because that's one of the greatest ways to build wealth. But they forget that they're only going to be here a short time. And while they're investing on this side of the world, they're not investing on the other side. Now watch, and y'all, y'all wrapping stuff up and closing stuff, and you know I'm not done yet. <laughs> Look what it says. Look what it says. Verse 19. Laying up in for... In other words, when you give, and you give generously... A lot of y'all gave incredibly generously uh, to our project this year, and you give generously every week. Well, when you're doing that, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I'm giving this for somebody else, but you're not. You're investing, it says, for yourself. Now watch. Laying up in store. So when you give to God down here, he is storing it for who? Look, what does it say? Laying up in store for That means who's ever given it. Watch this. A good foundation against the time to. What does that mean? When you learn to be generous down here. You're storing up treasures up there. Now what you're going to have here. 70, 80 years. Maybe. Well, what about 70 or 80,000 years up there? Learn to invest in eternity. And guys, no matter if you're rich or poor, no matter if you're rich or poor, you can invest in eternity. The good you do here, the time you serve God here, you're laying up up there. Amen? Amen. That's why he says lay your treasures up in heaven where the moss can't get to it and the rust can't get to it and the fire can't get to it. Are y'all with me? So, hey, let's work together. Employees, employers... Let's serve God. Let's serve our bosses like we're serving Jesus. And some of us need to serve better because we hadn't been serving Jesus right. Let's get to it. We're running out of time. And all God's people say it.